Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. The lesson you're about to hear was presented on December 21st, 2008, the Sunday before Christmas. I'm always concerned at this time of year with the covetousness I often feel creeping up inside me and that I see rampaging through our society. With that on my mind, I thought it might be good to look at Jesus' teaching on coveting when a man broke into his teaching in Luke 12 to demand that Jesus make his brother divide their inheritance. So open your Bible to Luke 12 and get ready to learn about Jesus' teaching that it is better to be a wise servant than a rich fool. Let's just say for a moment that you had a very important question on your mind today. It had absolutely nothing to do with the lesson that I was presenting. How important would that question have to be for you to decide just in the middle of this lesson to just stand up and ask it? Now let me add to that. What if Jesus were the one presenting the lesson? And Jesus was talking. How important would your question have to be for you to stand up in the middle of his lesson and interrupt his teaching and ask it? Let me add to that just a little bit further. What if Jesus was teaching on the one thing that makes the difference between whether a person goes to heaven or goes to hell? How important would your question have to be for you to stand up and interrupt that teaching and call attention to your question. Because that is exactly what Jesus was teaching about in Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12, when some unknown man in the crowds interrupted and asked, or rather told Jesus, Lord, make my brother divide the inheritance with me. In Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 8, it says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's almost as if that man is not even listening to what Jesus is talking about. In fact, almost the picture that I get, verse 1 tells us that there were so many thousands of people they were trampling on each other, that, that somewhere there in the crowd, while Jesus is teaching all this important matter, this man is arguing there with his brother, and they've gotten kind of in a quiet, heated argument. And finally, not even paying attention to what Jesus says, he turns and hollers out to Jesus, tell my brother to divide this inheritance with me. And of course, Jesus doesn't. In fact, Jesus doesn't even take his bait and doesn't really deal with the issue that the man has presented. But he uses this as an opportunity to teach. And the lesson that he presents to us throughout the verses that follow is that it's better to be a wise servant than a rich fool. And as he teaches, what I find very interesting is that he says something to this man and apparently to his brother. And then he says something to the crowds. And then he says something to his disciples. And what I'd like to do is take a look at each of those statements that Jesus makes to the man and his brother 
to the crowds, and then to the disciples, and see what we can learn today about being wise servants instead of rich fools. Would you bow with me before we get into that, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, you are the great and awesome God. There's nothing on earth that we want beside you. And we're thankful that you're with us. We're thankful that you care for us. We're thankful that you love us. We're thankful most of all that you cared for us spiritually, that you sent your Son to die so that our sins could be washed away, so that we might be set free from our sins, so that we might be set free to perform your righteousness and your good deeds. We pray, Father, that you would bless us so that we might be a blessing to others. We're thankful, Father, because you've taken such good care of us. We've all eaten today. We've all got clothes on today. We have homes in which we live. We have friends and family. We've driven here in our cars. We're so blessed. And, Father, we're thankful. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We recognize that without your hand of mercy, we would not be able to live and move and breathe and work, and so that everything we have comes from you. And, Father, because of that, we pray that you would help us to trust you more. So easy for us to get distracted by the world's goods and by the thought that the world's goods will take care of us, and we know that's just not the case. We pray that you would strengthen us to look to you and to trust you to care for us. And because of that, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us to care for others. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son's name we pray. Amen. Oh, we can take a look at Luke chapter 12. We don't have a whole lot to say about what Jesus said to the man and to his brother. Just a couple of comments that I'd like for us to notice. Then, then we start really getting to the teaching when he looks at the crowds and when he looks to the disciples. But in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In verse 14, he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now that word you, apparently in the Greek, I'm told, is plural, is the plural you. So he's not just talking to the man. He's talking to the man and his brother. Apparently they're both there. Or at least he's referring to both of them. And he says, who made me judge and arbitrator over you? Now I find that statement rather interesting. Because in fact, Jesus is the judge of this man and his brother. But the point that Jesus is making is, is that his judging is not about such petty squabbles as the division of inheritance. Keep in mind that from verses 8 to 12, he was talking about the dividing line between those who are going to heaven and those who are going to hell. And this man interrupts this teaching to talk about a dividing line of personal goods. And Jesus is just not going to take that bait, and he's not going to get into that discussion. And it doesn't explain to us very much why, but I think we can make two observations from this with relative certainty. Number one, Jesus doesn't want to get into this because what the man brings up is not the real issue of the heart. Jesus could side with this man or he could side with the brother. It really doesn't matter which side Jesus would legally side on. Jesus understood that there was a problem at the heart that needed to be dealt with, and that was covetousness. Now, he might say to the brother, yes, divide the inheritance, or he might say to the one who wanted it, you don't need it, it's not yours, you don't have a claim to it, but it wouldn't fix the problem. It might answer that very one specific question, but it wouldn't fix the real problem, and the real problem is somebody was coveting. The second thing that I get from this, that just is something I think we can know for certain, one of the reasons Jesus didn't comment on this, is because Jesus doesn't sit there and teach me so that I can figure out what to tell my brother what he's supposed to do. Jesus here is providing this dividing line between who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, and this man is so caught up in his own concerns about his own issues and his brother, that instead of listening to what Jesus says to him about how to go to heaven, he cries out to Jesus, you tell my brother to do something. 
And how often is that the problem that we have? That here the words are written to us, things that we need to be hearing, and we're busy wishing that they would be, that, that the preacher would be talking to somebody else, or that the word would be talking to somebody else, or I wish you'd tell my wife to do this, I wish you'd tell my husband to do that, I wish you'd tell my parents, or my kids, or my neighbor, or my coworker, or my boss, or my employees to do this. And Jesus just doesn't get into that, because Jesus is talking to us. He's talking to me, He's talking to you. And yes, I know that we're supposed to pass the word along. I know we bear the burdens and we teach others and, and we prove and rebuke, but we, under, we need to understand this. First and foremost, when we take a look at the word, Jesus is talking to us. And it's not our business to interrupt that and ask Jesus to talk to someone else. We need to look at what he's saying to us. That's what I learned from what he says to this man. But then he uses this opportunity. He just makes this one statement, basically saying, I'm not going to answer your question. And then he turns to the crowds in verse... Uh, in verse uh, 16, verse 15, lost my place there. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When Jesus turns to the crowd, when it says he spoke to them, to the crowds, I get four lessons out of this that I want to share with you. And they're pretty obvious. The very first one is Jesus says, beware covetousness. Covetousness and coveting is the idea of a greedy desire to have more. I'm not content with what I've got. I've got to be grasping and constantly reaching and straining to have more of the world's material goods. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 explains to us why covetousness is such a bad Dreadful thing for Christians to be involved in. In Colossians 3 and verse 5 it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. This desire for more, Jesus placed, uh, Paul places right up there with sexual immorality, with those who commit adultery and fornication. He says covetousness is just like that. You know how easy it is for us to take a look at those who, who cheated and think what a bad, awful sin that is. But this text says that coveting is on the same level. And then he says that covetousness is idolatry. Do we not see an example of that idolatry here in this man? This man is so intent on wanting more. His brother's got this inheritance and he wants it. He's got to have more. He's so intent that he places his argument and his thoughts about getting more from his brother above what Jesus is saying. You see the idolatry there? More concerned about getting money than listening to Jesus even teach about how to go to heaven. That's idolatry. But then the second thing that he points out to them is that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, I think 
we easily forget that. We take a look at the house someone lives in, the car someone drives, the clothes they wear, and we think we know the man. In our world, in our society, we'll hear that the clothes make the man. We see their car and almost use it to define them. I'm Alexis. I'm just a little old 94 Honda Accord. You know, that's the way the world says it. But that's not the way it is in reality. Think about Jesus. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 58, Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Jesus didn't even have a place to lay His head. Are we going to judge Him based upon His possessions? Possessions do not make our life. And something that I think this lets us know is that on this Thursday, some of us are going to be increasing our possessions, but you need to understand this. You might receive your dream gift on Thursday, but you're going to find that it's just as empty as far as the meaning of life and fulfillment as every other gift you've ever received. Everything you ever thought would provide that meaning and fulfillment always came up empty, and it's going to happen again this week if that's what you're hoping will happen. Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Your possessions don't make you. The third thing, and this is where we get into the parable, our possessions will not extend or even improve our life. Jesus told the parable of the rich man who, he had so much stuff, his biggest worry was, I don't know what to do with it all. Can you imagine having that much? I just, I just can't even imagine what to, what to do with all this stuff that's come in. Finally, he makes his decision. I know what I'll do. I'll hoard it for myself. I mean, after all, I need to be taken care of for the years to come. And so I'll tear down the barns that I've already got. I'll build bigger barns. I'll fill those barns. And then I'll say to myself, and notice who he's talking to. He doesn't say, Lord, thank you for these blessings. He says, self. Says to himself, wow, things are great. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Because I've got enough to cover me for years and years to come. That's what he says. And God looks at him and says, fool. You're rich. But you're a fool. Because tonight your soul will be required of you. And your abundance of possessions will not pay me off for that. Your abundance of possessions cannot change that doesn't matter what we own, it won't extend our life. In reality, it won't improve our life when we look at it from a spiritual standpoint. You see, this man was prepared to live for years and years to come. But he was not prepared to live for only a few more hours. And now his stuff was going to go to someone else. And then Jesus concludes his statement to the crowds and he points out to them that they need to be rich toward God. He says, so is everyone who's rich toward himself and not rich toward God. He says, this is the way y'all will be. You're looking at the crowds. This is the way y'all will be. You'll be just like this man. You may die rich, but you'll still be dead and it won't help you out any. If you're not rich toward God. There's no doubt that this statement brought to the Jewish mind, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, 
In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, there the proverbialist said, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Isn't that interesting? What he says here is if you take from the first that you had and you use that to honor the Lord, your barns are going to be full. Here this man had been blessed. His barns were full. His barns were so full he had to build bigger barns. But instead of taking what God had given him and being rich toward God, all he thought about was himself. And so instead of having full barns, his barns were emptied and given to someone else now. And that called to mind Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he'll be master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. This rich fool had come face to face with the vanity that the preacher talked about in Ecclesiastes. He had worked and he had toiled and he received a lot, but now it was going to go to someone else. His barns were being emptied. And what good was it doing? Because he wasn't rich toward God. But then Jesus turns and talks to his disciples. In verse 22, And he said to his disciples, Therefore... Now, I don't know if in this, the way the narrative is set up, if it's just kind of glossing over, there's been a change of scene, if if later Jesus has his disciples set aside and is now talking about this, but there's no doubt in the scheme of Luke here that this is... Therefore, he's now turning to his disciples and saying, you know what I've said to the crowd, you know what I said to the man and what I said to the crowd, now I'm going to say some more to you. Therefore, and he provides some teaching here. And, and it's almost as if to the crowds he just said, here's what you need to do. And now he's turning to his disciples and saying, here's how you do it. We've got a rather lengthy reading. I'm going to read all the way through verse 48 because I think all of this goes together. He said to his disciples, beginning in verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, excuse me, why are you anxious about the rest? Verse 27, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 35, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he'll dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he'll come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, 
that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he'll cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much it was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. There are four things that I gather from this as well. And Jesus turns to his disciples, like I said, as if to say, here's how you do it. The very first thing he said is, don't be anxious. Trust God. Don't be anxious. Trust God. Proverbs chapter 3 Verses 5 and 6 is called to mind. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Jesus turns to His disciples. He said, if, if you want to avoid covetousness, if you want to be rich toward God, the first step is just don't be anxious about stuff. Trust Him to take care of you. He says, look, the God who gave you life. The God who is powerful enough to bring life into existence is powerful enough to make sure you have food. And the God who took the dirt of the ground and fashioned it into a body and the God who is powerful enough to give you a body is powerful enough to get you clothes. And the God who is powerful enough to create the ravens in the air and the flowers of the field and provide all of that its cycle of life and its glorious splendor, Jesus says that God is powerful enough to take care of you. Trust Him to do it. What Jesus points out, it's one thing to just say, don't be covetous. It's another thing to get down to the heart of what causes coveting. And I think what Jesus does here is he points out that coveting stems from anxiety over stuff. From this idea that somehow stuff is going to take care of me. Somehow stuff is what's going to make my life better and meaningful. And so we have anxiety over whether or not we have enough stuff. Or maybe it's whether or not to have enough stuff that will last. Let's face it, we've all got stuff today, right? we all got clothes on. Everybody going to eat today? If there's somebody who's worried that they're not going to eat today, let's talk. We'll take care of that for you. So we're not really anxious about what's going to happen today, are we? We're anxious about years to come. i got enough stuff to last. Jesus says, don't be anxious about that. Trust God. Don't be anxious about where the food and clothes are going to come from. 
Trust God. He'll take care of us. Now that's not saying that He's going to provide for us enough stuff that we have to tear down our barns and build bigger barns. We have to learn to be content with what He provides. As 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8 says, and this is probably the most challenging passage for me in this entire lesson, Paul said, if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. God will take care of us. He'll provide the needs. For many of us, He's provided way beyond the needs. But, but if He just provided the needs, would we be content? Recognizing that God will take care of us. Jesus says, don't be anxious about stuff. Trust God to take care of you. And then secondly, he says, you're going to trust God to take care of you. Seek His kingdom. In the Matthew version of this statement, it's seek first the kingdom. But the same point is, is gotten across here. Verse 29, don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need Him. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give us the kingdom. But we've got to be looking for it. We've got to be looking for it first. Instead of being distracted by looking for our food and clothes. That's what the Gentiles do. That's what the world do. They're worried about food and clothes and they hope that stuff will take care of them. Instead, we're seeking God's kingdom. Why am I doing what I'm doing today? Is it so I can have stuff? Because that stuff's going to take care of me? Or is it so I can glorify God? Now, there's no doubt that seeking God's kingdom is going to include a proper work, work ethic. First Timothy chapter 6, as it talks about God's rule in our life, excuse me, chapter 5, First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Obviously, if I'm a believer and I'm seeking first the kingdom, I'm going to have a work ethic through which God blesses me to provide for myself and for my family. But when we allow that work ethic to become so large as if it's the, the one thing that we're supposed to do and it takes over and runs everything else out of our life, we've lost seeking the kingdom first. I want you to think about Haggai chapter 1. I'm sure that some of the Jews in the crowd had to think about the stories of Haggai that they had heard. In Haggai chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts in verse 7. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. 
And I call for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, on all their labors. There in Haggai, the children of Israel had been released from the Babylonian captivity and they'd come back to Israel. They started strong. They built the foundation. They laid the foundation of the temple. They built an altar. And then they allowed themselves to get distracted by their own pursuits. And for 16 years, nothing happened to the temple. And throughout those 16 years, God was judging them. And so they worked even harder because the harder they worked, the less they had. And I can almost hear them say, you know, as soon as, as soon as we get our lives taken care of, we'll get back to that temple. Surely God will understand. Surely God will understand. I've got to make sure that my family's fed. And God comes back and says, you know what the problem was? If you just built the temple, I'd have taken care of your family. If you'd sought first the kingdom of God, I'd have taken care of them. You know, I can't speak for God and I don't know everything that God does, but is it possible that all this financial turmoil America's going through today is because God's blowing away all our work because we're not seeking His kingdom first. I don't know how God's going to deal with the nation on that, but I do know how He deals with us. He says, if you seek first the kingdom, I'll take care of you. And then, Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the needy. He told the crowd, your life is not made up in the abundance of possessions. And so we as Christians, if we want to be rich toward God, we learn that what we need to do is be rich toward others. He says there in verse 33, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now, yes, I understand this does not mean that every person sells everything they have because then we'd all be a part of the needy. I understand. I mean, we've got other passages that talk about providing for our families, enjoying the blessings God has given us. I understand all that. But we can't get past what this does tell us. Instead of thinking that our life is made up in the abundance of our possessions, we ought to be ready to let our possessions go. so that we can help those who are in more need than we are. No doubt we see this happening in Acts 4 and 5, as disciples sold land and laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet. I'm not saying that you need to sell your home, but it does just point out a mindset. A mindset that instead of grasping for more is willing to let go and to live simply so that we can share with others who have need. Now, as we talk about this selling of your possessions and giving to the needy, no doubt it calls to mind again that passage we read moments ago in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 where it says, Be rich toward God, give of the first fruits." And I know that that will include that when there are needs that the congregation is accomplishing, that we would give into the congregational contribution, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as you may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. But it's not just talking about what we might do as a congregation. It's also talking about individual endeavor. 1 Timothy chapter 6 talks about those who are rich 
And in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. This storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16, Hebrew writer said, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is exactly at the heart of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. There he said, The point is this. This is 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It says that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. It says that the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food when we open ourselves up to take care of others, He'll provide for us abundantly. Do we believe that? Or do we think that was just an Old Testament promise? Back when miracles took place. So many of us ask and ask and ask because we're so afraid that we're going to have enough stuff to last. God says if you just open up and be generous and share with others... I bless you. But you know what? Even if, perchance, we were the one that God didn't bless with a great deal because of the new mindset we had, we'd still be content and happy with the blessing He does give us. And finally, and I know this probably seems odd, because on the surface, as we move into verse 35, it seems that Jesus is talking about something completely different. But I'm convinced that He's talking about the same thing, or at least continuing on. No doubt there's other lessons we can learn from this passage, but in the context of the study we're looking at, he still makes a point here, and he says that you need to stay alert in the Lord's work. Stay alert in the Lord's work. He tells them, look, here's what you need to do. You need to trust God. Don't be anxious. You need to seek God's kingdom. You need to sell your possessions, give it to the needy, and now he says, and you need to keep on doing that. It's not a momentary decision. It's not a one-time thing. It's something that we continue on doing because the Master's coming back. And when He comes back, who is He going to find that's ready and waiting and doing His will? But I want you to notice this one thing. This is why I think He's continuing on, at least carrying over the theme. In verse 42, after Peter said, Are you talking to us or to everybody? The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the Master will set over His household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. See that word? He told the crowds. He said to the crowds, your life is not made up in the abundance of possessions. He turned to the disciples and said, sell your possessions. And now he says, if you stay alert in the Lord's work, I'll give you real possessions. That's 
That's where the true blessing is. I'll be honest with you, I don't know exactly what the promise is here. As we look for our judgment and what's going to come later, I don't know exactly what it means. I'll tell you, I think this means more than we're just going to get to heaven and and be sitting around the throne singing, hanging out. There's something there awaiting us, and I don't know exactly what it is. But I tell you what, I bet God's possessions are better than ours. What do you think? Those heavenly possessions are greater than a computer or a DS or a big screen TV. I mean, come on. God's possessions are better than your house and your car. He says, if you want those real possessions that don't fade away, that last for eternity, then be content with what God does to care for you. Seeking His kingdom first. Using the blessings He gives you to bless others. And staying alert in the kingdom. Because that's when we'll receive those real possessions. Jesus really comes down to pointing out it's better to be a wise servant than a rich fool. It's better to be a poor servant than a rich fool. I'll tell you what concerns me for me. I own two cars. I have a house. I have multiple sets of clothes for everybody in my family. I've never gone hungry a day in my life. I've never been exposed a day in my life. I've never wondered, am I going to eat eat today? I've got an iPhone. I've got three computers. I have a washing machine and a dryer. I have two refrigerators, for crying out loud. An oven. And that's not enough. I have a microwave and a toaster oven. I have a house that has a bedroom for every member of my family. Well, almost. The boys have to sleep together. You know where that places me in comparison to the world? I think I've got the rich part down. What I'm worried about is the fact that I might be a fool. What about you? It's better to be a wise servant than a rich fool. God's blessed us greatly. What are we doing with it? I certainly hope that was edifying to you. Most of all, I hope it was glorifying to God. Let's remember what we learned. Jesus told the crowds, one, beware covetousness. Two, one's life is not made up of the abundance of possessions. Three, possessions will not improve or extend life. Four, be rich toward God. Jesus told his disciples, one, don't be anxious, trust God. Two, Seek God's kingdom, and he'll add our needs. Three, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Four, stay alert in the Lord's work, and he'll give us real possessions.
If you have any questions, spiritual needs, or prayer requests, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359 or contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. If you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to meet you face-to-face. Please join us for any of our classes or assemblies. You can find directions and a schedule at our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We look forward to meeting you. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.